All right. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's uh, getting cold out. Season's changing. And I don't know about you all, but it's really nice to see the leaves change on the trees and then fall. Uh, it's even more fun when you get to rake them up into a big old pile and jump into them, right? <laughs> I know that was one of my favorite things when I was uh, when I did it as a kid, but that's neither here nor there. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. And while you guys are turning there, the title of my message this evening is entitled, God's Thoughts and Ways Are Higher. And uh, didn't know what I was going to preach on, and the Lord had, you know, kind of, through experience, some things that I've kind of went through in my life, sort of... um, kind of led me on to preaching a message like this. And so, you know, God's ways are much higher and his thoughts are much higher than we can ever comprehend. And sometimes, a lot of times things really don't go the way that we think or they don't go how we want them. But we have to remember that God is the creator. He knows how things are going to work, and he has a specific plan on how he wants things to be organized in your life. So we have to, we ought not to be surprised that we don't get our way always, because we don't know any better. God does. He sees our lives, he sees what goes on in our lives, and he knows what's best for us. Amen? We tend to think that we know what's best for us, but we really don't. God does. Um, so starting in Isaiah 55 verses eight through nine, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we see that we serve a big God because we notice how big his thoughts are. Just as from as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts. We can't comprehend that. There's absolutely no way we can understand or even to begin to fathom what that is. Because we serve a big God. And if we serve a big God, that means that what we think is impossible is possible to him. Jesus said that all things are possible to those who believe. So if you believe tonight, then you believe in a God that can do the impossible. Even though when we think it is impossible, he can do the possible. Amen. Because that's how big of a God we serve. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 24. It says, the Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. 
you know, we, we, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to get all doom and gloom, but we know in our nation today that our constitution is taking a beating. It is. The politicians are trying to take away the God-given rights that we have, and they're trying to, they're trying to implement socialism in this nation. And the reason why I bring that up is because you got to remember, as a nation, we are very wicked. Okay, but God has given us grace because for everything we have done in this nation, we deserve to be wiped off from the face of the earth. We're murdering our babies. We're allowing sodomy to run around. We're allowing a whole bunch of other stuff I don't want to mention because it's very grotesque. And so God has been gracious enough not to wipe us off the map. But I think there's going to come a day that God is going to allow our rights to be taken from us. But I understand that if he does allow this, and I believe at some point he will, it is a part of his plan, a much bigger plan. But this comes to show that he's almost coming. And we ought to be prepared. See, remember back in the days of the apostles, they were flogged for preaching in the name of Christ. They said, don't preach in his name anymore. Jesus foretold that's going to happen even in our days. Even much worse. And the apostles believed that it is through much tribulation we must enter in to the kingdom of God. Because if there's anything that tribulation does, it purifies. Amen? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said they weren't going to bow down to that statue. They said, oh king, we're not careful to answer answer thee in in this manner. Our God can deliver us from this, but even if he don't, we're still not going to bow down and worship that thing. That day is coming. The question is, will you stand? In that day, everything that we go through, it is to prepare us for that time. God is preparing you for what's coming. Amen. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter one, verse six through seven. It says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, <coughs> wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. You know, the apostles and all of the Lord's disciples at the time of his first coming thought that maybe he would restore the kingdom to Israel. They had an expectation. But you notice that Jesus says that it wasn't for them to know that. How many times in your life Have you expected something to come to pass in your life? And the Lord says, no, or not now, or it's not the time yet. How many times has the Lord tell you that and you get discouraged? Because believe me, it is discouraging to hear an answer like that. But understand that regardless of the answer that God gives you, are you still willing to? To push forward and serve him. 
If you pray and ask the Lord for something, he says, no, not now. Will you still serve him? Will you still serve him even if the answer is no? I've got something better. You know, we this also shows what we just read is that God does things on his time. It's not on our time he does things, it's on his time. God does things for us on his timing and in his perfect will. Now, the stuff that I had asked is because I know what it's like to have God say no. I know what it's like to have God tell me, no, I've got something better. Um, Going to get a little personal, so bear with me a little bit, all right? Um, so a couple, well, I think it's about a month ago or so, there was a certain job that I had applied for. And uh, was reluctant at first, but I, I, I did eventually apply to this particular job. And um, on the day that I was supposed to be, I, on the day that I interviewed for this job, I had willingly gave up my hours at AutoZone, where I work, to go interview with them. That was a willing choice. I was willing to do that. That was a sacrifice I was willing to make to go interview. Um, come to find out that they never called. Not to e- they, didn't, they never even called to tell me that I didn't get the job. Still to this very day, I haven't heard from them. I was not in the greatest. It was heartbreaking to find that out. And it was one of those things that it was like, what happened? And like any other ordinary, normal person, we tend to be very, um, I hate to use the word bitter, but you know, we tend to have a very bad attitude about it. And I was convicted about that because I myself had a bad attitude about it. And God brought a thought across my mind. And the thought that he brought across my mind was Christ willingly died for our sin. He willingly laid his life down. That was his. That's what he chose. He willingly laid his life down. And how much more of us have been willingly disobedient and disrespectful towards him, towards Christ, and whom willingly laid his life down for our sins? How many times has, when in our rebellion, how many times has he been patient and long-suffering toward us that while we were sinners, how much has he done that? And then the thought came and came straight to my heart is, how much should I do that for others? And it was that thought I had to repent. How many of us, when we get disappointed, when God says, no, I've got something better, we get very agitated and have a bad attitude about it. How many of us, you know, are not that long-suffering and, and not forgiving towards others because of what they did to us. 
See, just as Christ, just just as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us of our sins and is long-suffering, we ought to be long-suffering and forgiving towards others, regardless of what they've done. Why? Because Christ did the same for us, and we ought to do the same for others. Just like what Brother Paul mentioned this morning is that God, you know, God said that if you don't forgive others for their sins, I won't forgive you. I'm telling you that 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 it still strikes my heart even now. Because I know I have to be more long suffering, more patient with others. And I'll tell you, if there's if there's if there's anyone that I'm preaching and I'm preaching that to myself, but if anyone gets this and, and understands it and is convicted by it, then praise God. But we have to understand that when God says that He's got something better, we ought to trust Him. We ought to have a we ought to have a better we have we ought to have a good attitude to what God gives us. And yes, it is discouraging when we don't we wonder what happened. It is just very discouraging. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul is telling young Timothy here to endure hardness like a soldier. What does that mean, to endure hardness? Well, to endure hardness means that you, no matter what pain you feel, no matter what God, no matter how God answers you in your prayer requests, you get back up, you dust yourself off, and you move forward, and you still serve Him. To endure hardness is being able to look beyond your own pain and to continue faithfully towards Christ. We ought to be good soldiers. We ought to endure hardness. Sometimes we get so worse. We, we have the emotional and physical pain. Sometimes we want to sit and wallow. And that's all we want to do is sit and wallow and focus on that pain. But I've come to realize that by sitting in your pain and only focusing on your pain and the woe is me, it will eventually drive you crazy. It will. Which, easier said than done, no matter what you go through, no matter what pain you have, you have to pick yourself up and go forward. And, and to continue to serve and follow Christ. Because in time, healing will come. It may not come right away, but it will come in time. And pain is not the easiest thing to get through. But sometimes what's better for us is to do what Christ wants us to do. Because we were put here not to glorify ourselves and not to say, woe is me. We were put here to glorify him. Because God is worthy of all praise and all glory. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. 
Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You see, when God shows you something, when God promises something in your life, and it doesn't come right away, this verse here is a good verse to meditate on. Because it says that for an appointed time, that vision will come to pass. But understand, it's, it is on God's time that it will come, not your own. And I had to learn that the hard way. You know, I know what God, I kind of have an idea of where God is leading me. And it seems discouraging at first because it's not happening. What myself and all of us have to remember, it is on his timing. It is on his perfect timing and perfect will. But it will happen eventually. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. To wait on the Lord is to serve him in whatever capacity that he has you in. Whether it be preaching, teaching, being a deacon, being a pastor. We all ought to wait on him on a daily basis. And whatever he promises us will come to pass, but we have to trust him. I have to trust him. You have to trust him. We all have to trust God on his timing. Because remember, in this life, it's not about us. It's about him. And if it's about him, our focus should be on him. It's easy to get distracted. And if we do get distracted, all we have to do is refocus our attention on him. Much easier said than done. But we ought to wait on the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. But it says that those who wait upon the Lord. The question I have for you today, tonight, is are you waiting upon the Lord for whatever it might be that you're waiting on? Are you waiting upon the Lord? Are you, are your attention fixated on the Lord or are you just not doing much? Because we ought to be busy about the Father's business. Amen. We are to occupy till he comes. We are to go about doing what he wants us to do. Talk to people. Pass out tracts. Evangelize. Witness to people. Invite them to church. This is what's on God's heart. It is not God's will for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We ought to share the gospel with people. I have to share the gospel with people. We all have to share the gospel with people. So, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. 
a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence. And a time to speak, and a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. There is times for things. As Christians, we go through seasons. It might be a season where you're blossom, blossoming and flourishing. But there's just other times you're not doing much. There's always a season for things. And there's a season in our life. I was uh, listening to a message by a pastor, and uh, he talked about um, a birth of a vision, a death of a vision, and a resurrection of a vision. And when God gives you a vision, it's the birth of a vision. But some things that we all go through is a death of a vision. Sometimes things just don't happen for a while. But in God's time... He'll resurrect it and flourish it. But it's on his time. We must wait on him. We must, do, we must wait upon the Lord and do what he wants us to do in the meantime. But there's always going to be a birth, a death, and a resurrection of a vision that God gives us. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we, not, if we faint not. If we wait upon the Lord and not grow weary, God promises us that in due time, we will reap what we sow. But we have to be patient. I don't know about you all, but the Lord is teaching me patience. I have to be patient. Maybe that's your case this evening. Maybe, maybe God has promised you something and it's not happening right away and you don't know why it's not happening. Maybe the Lord is teaching you patience. Because in our old sinful nature, we're not patient people. And God has to teach that to us. And sometimes when God teaches us things, it's not fun. But it is for our benefit that we learn to, the, to do these things. We tell people that patience is a virtue. But are we willing to be patient? Because God will teach us patience. He will. In Psalm 31, uh, 31, verse 15, it says, My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of, my, of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. There's a couple of examples I want to get into about how God does things his way and he doesn't necessarily do it our way. And I think these two examples are really good examples of that. 
First examples, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will shew thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Now I want you to look I want you to keep in mind something. God already knew who he was, who he was gonna choose. When God told Samuel, Go and I'll show thee who I choose to be the king next. He already knew, God already knew who it was going to be. He already had someone picked out. How much more will he do that for you? If he promises you something, how much more will he bring it about on his timing? We ought to trust him on that. When God says something, he means it. You know why? Because in God is light. God is truth. God cannot lie. God will always be truthful to you. Now, as then Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. Now, to be sanctified means to be set apart. And that's what happened. Jesse and his sons were set apart. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. You see right there, Samuel thought that this Eliab was to be king. God told Samuel, don't look, don't look on, on, the, on the appearance. Because he refused them. This is why, okay? For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. The Lord does not see what man sees. Samuel thought it was him because of his probably of his tall stature. But God told Samuel, Lord doesn't see how you see. You see, we need to trust him on that. When things don't go our way, we have to remember there are things that God sees that we don't. Because none of us can look at the heart. He's the only one. For man looketh on the outward appearance. You know, it's fun. Okay, check this out. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, judge not by what? Mere appearance. But he said, judge what? Righteous judgment. Jesus said, don't judge by appearance. And here we see that God says, we're not to look at the appearance. Amen. But the Lord looketh on the heart. You know, the Lord knows what's on your heart. 
He knows your wants. He knows your desires. He knows them better than you do. He even knows your motives. Yeah, he, he knows every little jot and tittle of your life. He knows he knows your desires. He knows your wants. He knows why you did things. See, we can lie to man, but we can't lie to God. We can lie to man and say that this is what we really want. This is why we're really doing it. But really deep down, that's not the truth. Because God looks at the heart. He looks at the intents of your heart. He looks at your intentions. See, whether we know it or not, we, we lie to people. Unknowingly, we could tell people why we're doing something. The Lord said, no, that's not why you did it. And the reason why the Lord could do that, because he knows your heart. He knows your intentions. <clears throat> then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. I don't know about you, but if you were in Samuel's position, you'd be like, who? You know, who? But Samuel didn't do that. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of, of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. You see, Samuel had to be patient. You know, all these sons were going by, and he thought one of these surely had to be. And yet, God, then he realized that there was one yet to be anointed. Why? Because God had instructed Samuel to have Jesse to bring all his sons, but the youngest didn't come. So we see that there was faith on Samuel's part. And because of his patience, he finally found God showed him finally who the one he was supposed to anoint. Do we have that faith to be patient? Do we have that faith to to continue to do in what God tells us? Just like Samuel. I think Samuel's a very good example of how we should be. You see, we could go through all that and then just give up. But Samuel didn't give up. He kept on going. And then to finally figure out that there was a son that yet wasn't there that needed to be there. And he was able to finally accomplish what God wanted him to. Amen. That's how we should be. <coughs> All right. Uh, last example. And then we'll close. It's kind of a big one. Second uh, Kings chapter 5. Verses 1 through 14. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given him deliverance unto Syria. 
He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. He had leprosy. And leprosy was no was not fun to have. And to what I know about leprosy and to what I heard about it, it's actually worse than COVID. Leprosy is just a painful way to go. COVID can be painful too, but you know, leprosy was it was bad. Um, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel. A little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria? For he would recover him of his leprosy. Wow, you see there's faith there. The Lord can recover him. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to go, to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when... Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha, okay, now I want you to think about something here. So Elisha himself didn't go. To, to name it. We're going to see that he sent messengers to him. And we'll find out the reason. And Elisha sent a messenger on him. Sorry, messenger only one, not messengers. Messenger one. I was wrong. And Elisha sent a messenger on him saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shall be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and and recover the leper. You know, Naaman had an expectation. He wanted Elisha to come to him and heal him. But what happened instead? Elisha's messenger said, Go wash in the Jordan seven times. You know, the Jordan is said to be very dirty, not very clean water, very dirty. In the world's mind, you'd be like, why would you send someone in a dirty river to wash? God said. You see, sometimes the world will think it's foolish to do that. But you want to know something? The world's wisdom is foolishness to God. What's foolish to the world is wisdom with God. 
Will we obey what God tells us? Are not Abna and Far Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them? <coughs> See, he even himself knew that Jordan was all dirty. He didn't want to wash in that. Why can't we do? Why can't we go wash in uh, some other river? It's not what God said. God used the messenger of Elisha to go say, "Go into the Jordan seven times." But you see, Naaman didn't want to do that. He said, I want to go to a different river. How many times are we like that with God? God tells us, go. No, I don't want to go. I want to go this way. But just like Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. You know what he did? He went the other way. It cost Jonah a lot of time. And it almost cost a whole bunch of mariners' lives because of his sin. Naaman didn't want to go into the Jordan. He wanted to go somewhere else. God said, Jordan. So he turned and went away in a rage. He was mad. Bad attitude. I'm telling you. I'd say this is probably an example in scripture of how I was. And God had to convict me over it. Believe me, he had to deal with me. And I I took the, I took the uh, chastisement for, for my bad... My bad um, Attitude, thank you. I'm losing it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, bad attitude. But we see that Naaman had a bad attitude. He's like, no, I don't want to wash it. They want to go over there. God said, no. Jordan, seven times. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some Great thing, wouldst that thou not have done it? That's a good question. Question we should all ask ourselves. How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of of a little child, and he was clean. Let's close. I want to close with this. God will do things according how he sees it. It may seem strange. The question is, will you be obedient? Regardless of the answer that God gives you, will you be obedient to what he tells you? Because I'll tell you what, it's... Naaman could have had a whole different attitude and said, okay, I'll wash. He didn't. He had a bad attitude about it. And you know what? We are all susceptible to that. It's not just Naaman, not just myself. We're all susceptible to having a bad attitude. And it's because our expectations are in the wrong place. We think that God should do it our way and on our timing. Because we think we know better, when in fact we do not. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what's best for us. He knows when we need something, why we need it, and the time that we need it. We ought to trust God 
in what he says. Amen? Because it would go way better if we just trust him and not try to argue with him. Because I'll tell you, if you try to argue with God, you'll lose. You'll lose. That, that's, just, that's just a fact. You, I mean, it's just like an ant trying to wrestle a, a rhinoceros. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. It's all good. But you know, it's like an ant trying to wrestle with a rhinoceros. That rhinoceros is going to win. You'll stomp on that little ant. I'm telling you, how much, how much more? <laughs> how much more with God? God is bigger than us. We just read. We just read that as far as from earth as to heaven is, so are his ways and thoughts. God is bigger than you. He'll win. Didn't work out so well with Jacob. Because you remember the story, Jacob wrestled with an angel. The angel won. And it took... A joint out of his. It took a joint to be missed, like be out of his, out of Jacob's joint, to uh, be done. We can wrestle with God all we want and argue with Him, but it, He's going to win because He knows you better than we know ourselves. Amen. Let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer, and then Brother Bill, I'll have you come up, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for being so long-suffering towards us and so gracious and so forgiving towards us. I pray, Lord, that you would search our hearts, convict us, Lord, of our sins. We pray, Lord, that there would just be a move of your spirit. We pray, Lord, that there might be someone here today that needed to hear this. We pray that, um, Lord, that you would just work in our, in our hearts. Just help us and clean, uh, clean us up, Lord. Please help us and give us the strength to be patient and long-suffering and loving towards others as well as forgiving. Lord, we thank you today. We love you this evening. We pray, Lord, you bless us. We bless the rest of tonight. We pray that you would help us to get home safely. And we pray that you bless this week and help us to return safely on Wednesday. Lord, we do thank you and praise you. And we lift these things to you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.